at teach.org. 90.1 KPFT Houston. This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always más. You're listening to NP All Lit, poetry, prose, and music from beginning to end on Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say on 90.1 FM, KPFT, Houston. Hi, I'm Antonio. I'm in college studying aerospace engineering with a minor in math and physics, and I've done the math. Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, fuels the culture that accelerates my knowledge and lifts our spirits. Call 713-526-5738 right now to donate and help Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, and KPFT hurdle past the financial obstacles that threaten to bring down this stellar program. You can also donate online by visiting www.kpft.org. Donate in support of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. With this cultura, the sky is not the limit. Call 713 713- 526-5738 Unidos Me Cariño 
This is Russell Contreras, the race and justice reporter with Axios. I'm reading my story, The Elusive Political Power of Mexican Americans. Mexican Americans make up the nation's largest Latino group, yet they remain politically outshined by more recent arrived Cuban Americans. The disparity in political power between Mexican Americans and Cuban Americans reflect the racial, historical, geographical, and economic differences within Latino cultures in the U.S. But for the first time in U.S. history, the Senate includes three Mexican-Americans, Senators Catherine Cortez Maestro of Nevada, Senator Ben Ray Lujan of New Mexico, and Senator Alex Padilla of California. This happens as the Mexican-American population overall nears 37 million people in the United States. Cuban-Americans, whose numbers are just 2 million, are also represented by three Cuban-American senators, Senator Marco Rubio of Florida, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, and Senator Bob Menendez of New Jersey. Today, the majority of Mexican-Americans reside in either deep blue California or reliable, reliably red Texas. Neither state attracts many presidential candidates campaigning for the general election. The vote the political core of Cuban Americans live in swing state Florida, making them more attractive to, president, to presidential candidates who want to visit and play to anti-communist passions of Cubans and Venezuelans. The two groups helped deliver Florida and its 29 electoral votes to President Trump in 2012. Mexican Americans' concentration in non-swing states and weak political fundraising put them at a disadvantage to gain political power that reflects their numbers. So told me a Las Vegas-based Mexican-American political consultant. New Mexico political consultant, Cisla Beta, told me the Democratic Party hasn't invested in training Mexican-American candidates are developing a pipeline for elected office. The COPE-funded Libre Institute trains Latinos to be activists on tax and immigration issues, but it doesn't train candidates to run for office. In addition, Los Angeles Times columnist Gustavo Arellano said, once prompting Mexican-American stars like former Los Angeles Mayor Antonio Villegrosa and California Lieutenant Governor Cruz Bustamante flamed out in the scandal, and that cleared the bench of potential national figures. People of Mexican ancestry have been here since the United States' founding, and today represent about 60% of the 61 million Latinos. The political power is limited. Nearly a third of Mexican Americans are under 18 and can't vote, according to Arturo Vargas, executive director of the National Association of Latino Elected and Appointed Officials. One in four adults of Mexican descent in the U.S. is in a citizen, Vargas said. And most Americans... And most Mexican-American elected officials come from poor majority Mexican-American districts because of racial, racial segregation and gerrymandering. If you think back to President Kennedy in 1960, he galvanized Mexican-American voters when he ran for president through the Viva Kennedy Club. And this was the first massive effort by a presidential candidate to reach out to Latino voters. 
Since then, the Congressional Hispanic Caucus credited that outreach with the impetus to get Mexican Americans involved in politics. Hispanics, mostly Mexican American Democrats, have been elected to Congress more than in the last challenge. Since then, more Hispanics, mainly Mexican American Democrats, have been elected to Congress in that period than the previous 140 years. A generation later, Texas Republican Governor George W. Bush courted Mexican Americans during his gubernatorial and presidential races and drew a record number of Republican votes from them. By contrast, a large number of Cubans, many from elite, mostly white, wealthy families, started arriving in the 1960s after Fidel Castro overthrew the dictator. Unlike Mexican-Americans, Cold War Cuban-American refugees were given a clear and quick path to U.S. citizenship, including voting privileges. Anti-communist Cuban-Americans joined the Republican Party following the failed pay-a-pig invasion of Cuba and formed coalitions with some Republicans and conservative Democrats against civil rights and anti-poverty initiatives. Some Mexican-Americans embraced the struggles of African-Americans, while some Cuban-Americans would snub South African anti-apartheid revolutionary Nelson Mandela for his relationship with Castro. These actions, Cuban-Americans angered moderate, democratic-leaning Mexican-Americans and led to political tensions between the two groups that linger today. What you talking about with all them lies you be telling? Keep my name out your mouth. You keep my name out your mouth. You keep my name out your mouth. If they don't get enough, gonna shut it down. Me and my girls in the street so loud. Cause we're done with your ass. You should've known by now. You should've known by now. You should've known by now. If they don't get enough, gonna shut it down. And me put your bravo.
You're listening to NP All Lit. Poetry, prose, and music from beginning to end. A nuestra palabra, Latino writers having their say on 90.1 FM, KPFT, Houston. Hi, I'm Antonio. I'm in college studying aerospace engineering with a minor in math and physics, and I've done the math. Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, fuels the culture that accelerates my knowledge and lifts our spirits. Call 713-526-5738 right now to donate and help Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, and KPFT hurdle past the financial obstacles that threaten to bring down this stellar program. You can also donate online by visiting www.kpft.org. Donate in support of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. With this cultura, the sky is not the limit. Call 713 713- 526-5738. Unidos. This is Texas State Representative Cristina Morales, and I am going to read an opinion editorial that was published in the Houston Chronicle on January 20th, 2021, titled Mexican American and African American Studies Should Count Towards Graduation in Texas. I am blessed to know my history. My grandfather attended a segregated school. My grandmother remembers a park in San Antonio with a sign that read, no dogs or Mexicans allowed. We have come a long way since then, but there is still so much work to be done. Knowledge of my heritage helped me become a leader and play a role in making Texas a better place. That is why I'm introducing a bill in the Texas legislature to award full credit to high school students for ethnic studies courses and count them towards their graduation requirements. Texas youth deserve to know their history. When my grandparents moved to Houston in 1931, they moved to Second Ward, which we lovingly call Segundo Barrio. There they found a neighborhood with the highest concentration of Latinos, mostly Mexican and Mexican-American. This is where they would later open Morales Funeral Home, the first Latino-owned funeral home in Houston, and then a cemetery. The funeral services they provided to families were filled with compassion and provided everyone during their time of mourning with recognition and respect for their Mexican heritage. In 1950, they opened radio station KLVL, La Voz Latina. For many years, it was the only Spanish language radio station in the Gulf Coast. The radio station was not only a form of entertainment, but it provided news, weather, job listings, and talk shows where the community members could call in and share accomplishments, celebrations, and tragedies. Just imagine being in a foreign country and unable to speak the language. How would you know if a hurricane was coming? How would you find a job? Our history was not taught in schools, seen on TV or celebrated. So how could you remember your heritage, tradition or shared history? In the years since commerce blossomed, Families thrived, and Segundo Barrio in Houston grew as the Latino population significantly increased. Now there are many Latino funeral homes and Spanish radio stations across the Houston area. 
Latinos have grown exponentially in our city and our state. Our history contributions, however, are not regularly recognized or celebrated outside of our neighborhoods or the households where families share their customs. I feel fortunate to be part of the history of Segunda Barrio. I see our family's name on our building every day. I see our family's name honored in El Paseo del Segundo Barrio in Guadalupe Plaza Park. I can hear my family's name ring out in the Texas Capitol when I am called as a Texas state representative. I will carry out my family legacy of giving back by championing this ethnic studies bill so that students from our neighborhoods, our cities, and our towns can see their families' contributions in their textbooks, in their curriculum, and in their classrooms. This is the Texas-sized version of history that helped create this great state, and we are poised to share it through high schools from Houston to El Paso. Texans have already united to bring this history forward, and it's time to celebrate its richness to the fullest. Republican and Democratic Texas State Board of Education representatives voted unanimously to approve Mexican-American studies in 2018 and African-American studies in 2019 as electives. These powerful courses are only offered as electives relegating our history to second class, extra, or something to overlook. That is why, according to the Texas Education Agency, just over 1,400 Texas students were able to take Mexican-American studies, and less than 100 were able to take African-American studies in the 2019-2020 school year. I am submitting a bill to change that. My bill would allow African-American studies and Mexican-American studies courses to count towards high school graduation requirements. These courses currently lack this critical designation. This change would encourage school districts to invest in the teachers, staff, and resources to teach these courses long-term. Most importantly, this change will make our history count. It would also inspire scholars and activists to develop the curriculum for approval of further ethnic studies courses, including Asian American and Indigenous American studies. Activists, scholars, and elected officials have included both of these disciplines since advocates began championing this new era of ethnic studies. Study after study confirms that culturally relevant courses bridge the educational divide. The Cabrera study provided this information at the Arizona Supreme Court and was pivotal evidence in overturning the state's ban of Mexican-American studies. Now we must unite so that every district benefits from the richness of these courses. This is especially important in the post-George Floyd era where so much attention is focused on dismantling structural discrimination that permeates our lives. Culturally relevant courses go far beyond the classroom in cultivating a generation of leaders who will diffuse cultural conflicts early on. These same thinkers can also build a Texas where all our contributions are recognized 
respected and celebrated. Please join me in delivering a Texas-sized history for all our youth and their families. studying aerospace engineering with a minor in math and physics, and I've done the math. Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, fuels the culture that accelerates my knowledge and lifts our spirits. Call 713-526-5738 right now to donate and help Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, and KPFT hurdle past the financial obstacles that threaten to bring down this stellar program. You can also donate online by visiting www.kpft.org. Donate in support of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. With this cultura, the sky is not the limit. Call 713-526-5738. Unidos. You're listening to NP All Lit. Poetry, prose, and music from beginning to end. A Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. A 90.1 FM, KPFT. Houston. A former farm worker on American hypocrisy. In the pandemic, illegal workers are now deemed essential by the federal government. By Alfredo Corchado, the Mexico border correspondent for the Dallas Morning News.
El Paso. The other day, armed with a face mask, I was rushing through the aisles of an organic supermarket, sizing up the produce, squeezing the oranges and tomatoes, when a memory hit me. Me, age six, stooping to peek the same fruits and vegetables in California San Joaquin Valley. I spent the spring weekends and scorching summer suns of my childhood in those fields under the watchful eyes of my parents. Once I was a teenager, I worked alongside them, my brothers and cousins too, essential links in the supply chain that kept America fed, but always a step away from derision, detention, and deportation. Today, Hundreds of thousands of immigrants from Mexico and Central America are doing that work. By the Department's agriculture's own estimates, about half the country's field hands, more than a million workers, are undocumented. Growers and labor contractors estimate that the real proportion is closer to 75%. Suddenly, in the face of coronavirus pandemic, these illegal workers have been deemed essential by the federal government. Tino, an undocumented worker from Oaxaca, Mexico, is hauling asparagus in the same farm where my family once worked. He picks tomatoes in the summers and melons in the fall. He told me his employers has given him a letter tucked inside his wallet next to a picture of his family, assuring any who has that he is a critical to the supply chain. The letter was sanctioned by the Department of Homeland Security, the same agency that has spent 17 years trying to deport him. I don't feel this letter will stop La Migra from deporting me, Dino told me, but it makes me feel I may have a chance in this country, even though Americans may change their minds tomorrow. True to form, America still wants it both ways. It wants to be fed, and it wants to demonize undocumented immigrants who make that happen. Recently, President Trump tweeted that he would temporarily suspend immigration into the United States, a threat consistent with the hit the immigrant like a piñata policy he spearheaded in his 2016 campaign. Less than 24 hours later, the president backed down in the face of business groups, fearful of losing access to foreign labor, announcing that he would keep the guest worker program. In the past, the United States has rewarded immigrants, soldiers who fought our wars with a path to citizenship. Today, the fields, along with the meatpacking plants, the delivery trucks, and the grocery store shelves are our front lines and border security cannot be disconnected from food security. It's time to offer all essential workers a path to legalization. It might seem hard to imagine this happening during the build the wall presidency when Congress can barely agree on emergency stimulus measures. Many Republicans no longer support even DACA, the program that protected dreamers who grew up here and that could be revoked by the Supreme Court this week. But the pandemic scrambles 
our normal politics. We have started talking about essential workers as a category of superheroes. San Andrew Silly, the president of the nonpartisan Migration Policy Institute, and author of Vanishing Frontiers. If the pandemic continues for a year or two, he said, we should think in a bold way about how do we deal with essential workers who have put their lives on the line for all of us, but who don't have legal documents. Maybe, he said, they should be in the pipeline for fast-track regularization, like those with DACA are for now. Of course, America has always been a fickle country. I learned that lesson as a crop-picking boy when Mayana Esperanza, who ran the team of farmhands that included my mom, brothers, and my cousins, would yell, Aganciarco, duck. The workers without documents would stop hoeing and scramble, run, if not for their lives, then almost certainly for their livelihoods. We watched as the vans of the Border Patrol came to a screeching hoss, thus settling. The unlucky workers would make a beeline for the nearest ditch or canal. Some would even drop to the ground, hoping for refuge amid the rows of sugar beets, tomatoes, and cotton. Sometimes the agents would give chase. We would always root for the prey. On more than one occasion, agents took my mom and my Aunt Teresa, locking them up in the cages in the back of the van because they didn't have their green cards on them. We would race back home and fetch the cards and make a mad dash to the immigration offices in Fresno, some 60 miles away from our farm camp in Oroloma praying we would make it there before they could be deported. We were desperate to prove they had every right to be out in those desolate fields if they were taking a dream job away from somebody else. One time, Aunt Teresa looked genuinely disappointed at the sight of our smiling faces. She was ticked off she had not been deported. I miss Mexico, she said. Sometimes the night after such raids, puzzling thing would take place. A labor contractor or farmer would drive up as we gather for dinner a beef, green chili, and potato caldillo washed down with tortillas. He would compliment us for the hard work we had put in that hard day. And then he would ask, did we know anyone else who might want to come and work alongside of us? He meant more Mexicans. The instructions were simple. Get the word out. Spread the farmer's plea back in our hometowns in Mexico because plenty of rain had fallen that winter. And now it was summer. And everything around us was ripe, aching for that human touch. The season looked promising. Plenty of crops to pick. Today, not much has changed. The vulnerable, dreamers working in healthcare, hotel maids, dairy and poultry plant workers, waiters, cooks, and busboys in the $900 billion restaurant industry still work to feed their families while feeling disposable, deportable by an ungrateful nation. Dino, the farm worker in the San Joaquin Valley, 
is worried about the coronavirus. He wonders whether it's best after 17 years of hiding from immigration authorities to return to Oaxaca, where, he says, I'd rather die. But Dino's dreams outweighed his fears. He wants the best for his family, including a son born in the United States who's looking at colleges in California. So he continues in his $13.50 an hour job. He works from, among others, Joe L. Del Bosque of Del Bosque Farms, one of the largest melon, organic melon growers in the country. Mr. Del Bosque employs about 300 people on hundreds of acres, and its fruits and vegetables are sold in just about every organic supermarket across the country, including the place where I now shop in El Paso. Sadly, it's taking a pandemic for Americans to realize that the food in their grocery stores, on their tables, is courtesy of mostly Mexican workers, the majority of them without documents, Mr. Del Bosque told me. They're the most vulnerable of workers. They're not hiding behind the pandemic waiting for a stimulus check. Along with other farmers, he has been pleading with Congress for the past few years to legalize farm workers. If not as part of some comprehensive immigration reform, then as a bill focused on farm workers, because you need these workers today, tomorrow, and for a long time, he told me. With or without COVID, he added, we need to constantly replenish our workforce to ensure food supplies. Some Democratic lawmakers, including Representative Veronica Escobar of El Paso, are pushing to include legalization in any updated coronavirus package. The hypocrisy within America is that we want the fruits of their undocumented labor, but we want to give them nothing in return, she told me. Even with unemployment projected to be 15% or higher, Mr. Del Bosque told me he doubts he'll ever see a line of job-seeking Americans flocking to his fields. The rare few who show up at 5.30 a.m. don't come back. He said some give up the backbreaking work before their first lunch break. Del Bosque fears looming labor shortages. That's not because of rates by the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement resuming or a wall keeping workers out. He worries about a potential coronavirus outbreaks. Yes, of course he does. But his most immediate concern is farm workers are aging. Their average age is 40. My old school, Oroloma Elementary School, which was once filled with Mexican children, closed down in 2010. The fields are simply running out of Mexicans as fewer men and women migrate every year, either because they're finding better jobs in Mexico or because of demographics. The Mexican birth rate is down from 7.3 children per woman in the 1960s to 2.1 in 2018. Those who do come want higher paying jobs in other industries. The best way to guarantee 
food security in the future is to legalize the current workers in order to keep them here and to offer a pathway to legalization as the incentive for new agriculture workers to come. These people will be drawn not just from Mexico, but increasingly from Central and South America. Del Bosque Farms has been dependent on Mexican workers since Mr. Del Bosque's parents, who are also immigrants from Mexico, started hiring them in the 1950s under the Bracero program, which began during World War II. The program issued some 5 million contracts to Mexicans, inviting them to come to the United States as guest workers to help fill labor shortages so Americans could fight overseas. Hundreds of workers who've toiled at Del Bosque Farms over the years have become legal residents, many more citizens, including my father, Juan Pablo. For many years, my father spent the springs and summers working in the United States, but every November, he would hightail it back to his village in Mexico, San Luis de Cordero, Durango, where he played in a band called the Birds, Los Pajaritos, with his five brothers. He didn't trust his American bosses to raise his pay and always worry about the possibility of suddenly being deported so he wouldn't commit to them. The Texans, especially, he thought, were prejudiced against Mexicans. The boys from Mexico worked so hard. Texas Rangers argue during one of America's cyclical anti-immigrant periods that the hiring of Mexicans should not be considered a felony. Thus, the Texas Proviso was adopted in 1952, stating that employing unauthorized workers would not constitute harboring or concealing them. This helps explain why Americans call immigrants illegal, but not the businesses that hire them. When the Bracero program ended in 1964, amid accusations of mistreatment against Mexicans, my father thought he had enough of plowing rows on a tractor and digging ditches. He dreamed of running a grocery store in Mexico raising his kids out where mountains embraced us. But he was such a hard worker that his boss couldn't fathom the idea of losing him. So he helped my father get a green card for every member of his family, including me. Later, he began working for the Del Bosques. Without legalization, he would have left and probably never come back. As a six-year-old, I cried under the California stars, homesick for Mexico, for my friends, for my cousins. Then one night, my mother Adlinda tucked me into bed and as she caressed my face, shh, she whispered, they're all here now. And she was right. Today, my siblings include a lawyer, an accountant, a truck driver, a delivery manager, a security guard, an educational fundraiser, and a prosthetic specialist. Cousins went off to fight wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, or to help run medical centers and corporations, including Walmart in Arkansas. Others still grind away in the fields of California and meatpacking plants of Colorado, 
or they work in nursing homes or clean the houses of the rich. Many of us make an annual pilgrimage to our home village in San Luis de Cordero, surrounded by Mexican desert, but we are firmly planted here. Without being thanked for it, we are replenishing America. Straight out the 775, Holly Sienza, Mestizo, Paisano, coming to you live. Living in the land where the blue collar hustle always strives. Out working for the familia, Kayla stands how we provide. And my roots stretch from Jalisco to Battleborn. A product of my environment, rose with so many thorns. From the trailer parks, as a kid with sneakers always torn. To Calle Francisco Sarco, I was sleeping on the floor. Never ran with a gang, I never been a pandillero. I got love for my head there from the ranchos to the ghettos. And everything in between, as long as you 100% real. It'll Always be respect, or never been wanna judge, cause everybody got their own struggles. And I ain't perfect, got my own problems to go juggle. Like I've been trying to find the pieces to my own puzzle. Independent living life, I got my own hustle. Ill. Independent living life on my own terms. Ill. For real, son, come take a ride with the ill one. Ill. Independent living life on my own terms. Ill. I live and learn, I live and learn, yeah. I set my sights to do it big just like pun. Protect my family, work hard, fulfill my dreams, live in love. From humble beginnings, when I was young, I slept on the rug. I didn't have a bed until I was 11 and up. The life of an immigrant, Mexicano thick in the blood. I do this for the people that I love, I never give up. This life has taught me to be true to myself, I'm the chosen one. One day be rising up above and shining bright like the sun. Till I could buy my family the house of their dreams. I keep making this music, serving the fiends. I hear the screams, I feed off your energy like alchemy. I then converted to cheese That's more than 10,000 hours of work and murder and peace And I've been ill way before this COVID took over the globe And I've been on the road exposing people to this lethal flow And every show I go infecting them Watching the numbers grow with no label Just the fans who support me on my own I'm ill I'm ill Independent living life on my own terms Ill I'm ill For real son come take a ride with the ill one Ill I'm ill Independent living life on my own terms. Ill. I live and learn, I live and learn. See, when you come from the slums, on the table, only crumbs. When the lights hit, you see the roaches all scattered and run. Me and my sister home alone, smiling through the pain, we was numb. Flashes and visions across the border and scared as fuck. Going through dangerous situations, we were so young. Visions of my uncle fucked up and drunk, high on drugs. Then he took his own life, left so much confusion. I suppressed so many memories, but then they rose up. Like a pile of boulders resting on my soul that weighed a ton. I used to push it all away with alcohol and smoking blunts. Making all the wrong decisions. In my life and up and then my kids were born So I knew it was time to straighten up Cause I will never let them go through what I went through coming up Nah, but I will never forget where I come from You see the pain made us strong We pushing forward, moving on And ain't a mother thing that's gonna stop me Mother I'm ill I'm ill Independent living life on my own terms Ill I'm ill For real son, come take a ride with the ill one Ill I'm ill Independent living life on my own terms. Ill. I'm ill. I live and learn. I live and learn.
Hi, I'm Antonio. I'm in college studying aerospace engineering with a minor in math and physics. And I've done the math. Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, fuels the culture that accelerates my knowledge and lifts our spirits. Call 713-526-5738 right now to donate and help Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, and KPFT hurdle past the financial obstacles that threaten to bring down this stellar program. You can also donate online by visiting www.kpft.org. Donate in support of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. With this cultura, the sky is not the limit. Call 713-526-5738. Unidos. You're listening to NP All Lit. Poetry, prose, and music from beginning to end. A Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. A 90.1 FM, KPFT. Houston. This is Al Castillo. I am president of LULAC Historic Council 60. I wrote an op-ed for the Houston Chronicle on October the 15th, and I'll be reading it to you. Abbott's altering voting rules akin to poll tax. In 2018, LULAC Council 60 Clubhouse on Bagby Street was designated a national treasure by the National Trust for Historic Preservation. To mark the occasion, I took some time to look over our files we'd stored and saved for makings of our own museum someday. This is when I saw a sign from decades ago that made me realize how important our work is. The sign read, buy your poll tax before January 31st. Be ready to vote. I remember as a young boy when my father, A. John Castillo, as a member of Council, Lulac Council 60, would sit at the neighborhood wine gardens in near north side and volunteer to sell poll tax to our area residents, made up mostly of, America, of Mexican-Americans. I often heard our neighbors say that they wanted to vote but just couldn't afford the tax, a whole $2. It was a sacrifice for families on a fixed income. It was a hard sell. When my father sat there day after day, tenacious and committed, He would tell me that only by voting could these types of Jim Crow tactics be challenged and eliminated. I had not thought of those days for a long time. Now I am the president of the same LULAC council that my father served. Finding that sign reminds me that we still have a lot of work to do to defy the direct and indirect efforts of disenfranchisement, disempower our community by making it harder to vote. This this brings me to take a stand on behalf of LULAC Council 60 and our community and condemn Governor Greg Abbott's recent move to reduce to only one drop-off site per county for mail-in ballots. This reminds me of that poll tax designed to make it much harder for our people in our community to vote. Although mailing their ballots is an option, if elders prefer to drop them off and they have to drive an hour out of their way, it looks like an update of charging hardworking families to vote. To make it cost more time, more research, more energy, this is shameful. This brings back to me the sad memory of the past efforts to suppress our right to vote as American citizens. Abbott knows that our county encompasses over 1,700 square miles. Does Does he care about the safety and well-being of our citizens of Texas? Did he not take an oath to protect our state? He should encourage and empower voters to exercise their right to vote. Voting is not a privilege. 
it is a constitutional right. It is time to leave Jim Crow tactic and lay them to rest as part of our tragic past. I am outraged that Abbott won an appeal over the court's decision to overturn this move. I am troubled by the Texas Republican Party suit against drive-through voting, though the suit has been tossed out for now. Any changes now to the voting rules are much too close to the elections and may lead once again to discouraging citizens from exercising their most important American right, voting. The entire notion is offensive. Abbott should not only drop his appeal, he also owes my father an apology. Oy, 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 voy a conquistarte. Aunque tú vengas de Venus y yo de Marte. Llegó el brujo de las brujas. Si tú eres agua y yo jabón, hagamos burbuja. Somos dos monos Yo soy la pistola y tú eres el plomo Mi florecita, aquí traigo el abono Yo soy tu John Lennon y tú mi Yoko Ono Hoy te devoro Hoy la gallina encontró al gallo de los huevos de oro La vaca tiene por los cuernos al toro Y me enamoro antes de que venga el coro Antes de que venga el coro y me enamoro Antes de que venga el coro Antes de que venga el coro y me enamoro Hoy, hoy, hoy Complementamos mi cielo, tú eres el limón y yo soy ron con hielo. Nos complementamos sin rollo, como salsa barbacoa con alitas de pollo. Cada uno trae su condimento, pone los bloques, yo mezclo el cemento. Lo que quiero es que usted se mueva, para que me saques palabras nuevas. Hoy te devoro, hoy la gallina encontró al gallo de los huevos de oro. La vaca tiene por los cuernos al toro y me enamoro antes de que venga el coro. Antes de que venga el coro y me enamoro, antes de que venga el coro, antes de que venga el coro y me enamoro. Panal hay que sacarle miel. Los cojos mueven las patas. Sin queso bailan hasta las ratas. Nadie se cansa, nadie se agota. Acá se baila hasta con la cadera rota. Hoy te devoro. Hoy la gallina encontró al gallo de los huevos de oro. La vaca tiene por los cuernos al toro y me enamoro. Antes de que venga el coro. Antes de que venga el coro y me enamoro. Antes de que venga el coro. Antes de que venga el coro y me enamoro.
You're listening to NP All Lit. Poetry, prose, and music from beginning to end. A nuestra palabra. Latino writers having their say on 90.1 FM, KPFT, Houston. Holding on to El Barrio by Tony Diaz, El Libro Traficante, for Que Onda Magazine. Part 5, Latino Art Ecosystem. The mural that evokes our indigenous roots on the outside walls of the Talento Bilingue de Houston Theater, a.k.a. Mecca East End at 333 South Jensen, was created by the Mexican Collective. The center is now operated by Alice Valdez, Mecca founder. It's just a few blocks away from the painting of Juan's Corner on the front of Doña Maria on 2601 Navigation Boulevard, Segundo Barrio. Ana and Juan Hernandez are the proprietors. Doña Maria is bustling and, following all COVID-19 protocols, continues to hold its place as an essential meeting place for community members and leaders overlooking the evolving esplanade and navigation. However, the TBH Theater, like all art facilities and organizations, is in peril. We've been advocating for fair and sustainable funding for Latino art and culture before the epidemic. However, the economic impact of COVID-19 means that all arts funding will suffer. Latino arts groups and artists were behind in funding before the coronavirus outbreak. That will only get worse. We must work together or perish. Nuestra Palabra is launching the 2021 Latino Art Ecosystem with over 50 Latino arts nonprofits and coalitions and non-Latino allies to help sustain efforts to spread Latino art and culture. Our goal is to unite 100 organizations and coalitions. This will serve to spread art throughout the entire city because, let's get this straight, every Houston City Council District is Latino. Ironically, the Latino arts community is used to working under these conditions. As we unite across the city, we will be able to lead the city in the post-COVID-19 era. Houston cannot truly be diverse if visitors can find the Texas Mexican food, but they can't find the Mexican art. Houston needs us. Our cultura will not only survive, we will thrive. Hi, I'm Antonio. I'm in college studying aerospace engineering with a minor in math and physics, and I've done the math. Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, fuels the culture that accelerates my knowledge and lifts our spirits. Call 713-526-5738 right now to donate and help Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, and KPFT hurdle past the financial obstacles that threaten to bring down the stellar program. You can also donate online by visiting www.kpft.org. Donate in support of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. With this cultura, the sky is not the limit. Call 713-526-5738. Unidos. La noche irá sin prisa de nostalgia Habrá Herida, un acordeón sangriento, nuestras almas seremos esta noche todo el día. 
never been a better time to donate your car to KPFT. When you contact the KPFT car donation hotline, you will do something great for this community. Call 1-855-573-8227 to donate or find out more information. KPFT is the only radio station of its kind located in Texas. It broadcasts music, news, information, and cultural programming from national distributors as well as locally produced offerings and more. Your donated vehicle goes to support this unique voice for yourself and others. Have an old car taking up space in your driveway? Donate it to KPFT now. Just call 1-855-KPFT-CAR or visit kpft.org to donate your old vehicle to support KPFT. Your contribution is appreciated. This is 90.1 KPFT Houston, kpft.org worldwide.